This is Samcast. Handel's Messiah is one of the best known classical pieces, especially is a significant feature for Christmas for many people, although it wasn't intended originally to be a Christmas piece. Its lyrics from Charles Jennings, not Handel himself, draw heavily from the Old Testament to paint a picture of the Messiah. And as beloved as this piece is, many actually question and outright reject the use of the Old Testament. They consider that this reading that Jennings gives, it's, it seems like Jesus in places, but really it's a misreading of the original texts. It's argued that these texts were not inherently messianic, but they were historically fulfilled in the times of the writings themselves. However, the Psalms, at least, have long been recognized as predicting the life events of Jesus. The church has long treasured the Psalms as a source for Jesus. So is it wrong of us to find Jesus in the Psalms? In this episode, I want to look at this idea of the Psalms as end times focused. See, it's usually assumed that the Psalms are a randomly arranged collection of ancient worship songs. We've already discussed this and looked at how there are at least 10 reasons why the Psalms are far from being randomly arranged. But is it wrong to think of them as being simply Israel's ancient worship songs? Though many modern readers would assume that the Psalms were simply these ancient songs written by ancient people that can be applied to the church today, but still, they were simply songs for their own times. There is actually, in fact, a a rich history of reading the Psalms eschatologically as concerning the end times. I'm not aware of any scholar who's presented a broader history of Psalms interpretation than David Mitchell, and I really encourage anyone who's interested in this issue to go and read his works, which I'll be linking to in the episode page. And I'm going to be drawing a lot from his excellent book, The Message of the Psalter, in what follows. First of all, if we look at the ancient translations of the Psalms, We have the Septuagint, or the LXX. We have the Targums, and then the Peshitta, which is the Syriac Bible. If we were to look at these translations, we find that there are some interpretations of the Psalms that are given for us. Right? See, all of translation is really interpretation. We're interpreting the words into a new context, a new language. And we find that the ancient translations give us a hint as to how they considered the Psalms. Let's look at the Septuagint first. Now, when we look at the Septuagint, it's important to notice that the Septuagint seems to be drawing on a different Hebrew text than the Masoretic text that we have. This is because there are some significant differences with the Septuagint to the Masoretic text. And it looks like they're drawing not on the Masoretic text and just coming up with some strange translations at places, but they're actually drawing on a different text. This was confirmed by the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which sometimes supported the difference in the Septuagint translation over the Masoretic text. So the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were in Hebrew, actually supported in places the Septuagint's choice of translation. So it's important that when I say the Septuagint is a translation, it's also important that we recognize that it's drawing on a different Hebrew text, which might be the original text in places. It might reflect better the original writings than, than the Masoretic text that we have. Yes, it's a translation, but it's also a witness of a different Hebrew text that may be superior in places. However we consider the Septuagint, it's undeniable that it has a strong thrust of Messianic hope and eschatological focus. Even beginning with Psalm 4, as early as Psalm 4, the Hebrew 
is usually translated to the choir master. Right? This is a very common heading that you'll find in your Bibles, to the choir master or to the director of music or something along those lines. But the Septuagint regularly, consistently translated this differently than the Hebrew. This idea of the choir master is a very natural translation of the Hebrew. It seems clear that in its context, it's referring to the leader of music. But the Greek has ice to tell us. That's how it's translated this Hebrew, which could either mean concerning the end or for the ruler. So rather than Psalm 4 and others like it being translated to the choir master, the Greek emphasizes this idea of being concerning the end, or this is for the ruler, for the preeminent one. Now, this Greek translation is not completely off base. It sounds completely different to, for the choir master, right? How could those two things be similar? Well, they actually are, because it's possible that the Hebrew could be interpreted in such a way. It could possibly be interpreted as concerning the end or for the ruler. It just seems less likely. But the point is that the Septuagint translators, this is how they understood it. They read this text for the choir master in Hebrew, and they thought what this Hebrew is talking about is concerning the end or for the ruler. So this is an eschatological forward thrust to the Septuagint. The Targums insert interpretations into the headings also. Different to the Septuagint, which translated the headings a certain way, the Targum simply inserts its own interpretations into the headings such as by adding in the spirit of prophecy to Psalm 14. Or Psalm 103 verse 1, by, also by David, it says, by David, a prophetic word. That line, a prophetic word, is added. Psalms 18, 21, 45, 61, and others are also interpreted clearly as being about the Messiah. So it doesn't hold back telling us what it thinks these psalms are about. The Peshitta, which is the Syriac Bible, it thinks similarly too. Psalm 22 is, quote, spoken by David when his pursuers were taunting him and a prophecy of all the suffering of the Messiah. So this translation just tells us outright, this is spoken by David, but it's also a prophecy of the sufferings of the Messiah. It says about Psalm 45 that it's, it's about the Messiah and the church. Now, moving beyond translations, we have ancient interpretations as well of the Psalms. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which we'll likely return to in a future episode, has a few references that are worthy of note. One line in one of the texts says that David composed his songs, quote, through prophecy which was given him before the Most High. Then there are other texts like 11Q Melchizedek. How's that for a name? It interprets Psalms 7, 82, and Psalm 110 as about some sort of divine heavenly messianic figure. So they were reading these psalms, not historically, but they're reading it as about a future king, future messiah. Same with Psalm 110. Now, of course, the New Testament itself should be considered an interpretation of the psalms because it quotes the psalms very regularly and it uses them eschatologically and messianically. Quotations and allusions are far too many to count, but more than any other Old Testament book, the New Testament quotes the psalms. It's interesting that David is referred to as a prophet by Jesus. When Jesus is referring to Psalm 110, he calls David a prophet. And then Peter also emphasizes the fact that David is a prophet and that his psalm, Psalm 16 in this, in this case, is talking about the Messiah. David Mitchell himself makes an excellent point 
that at least some of the interpretations of the New Testament must have been shared by first century Jews. So it's not unique to Christians, to the Christian believers. And this we can see this because when Jesus claims that Psalm 110 is about the Messiah and that David is a prophet, those two points are not contested by his hearers. If these things were not common knowledge, that Psalm 110 is about the Messiah and that David is a prophet, then Jesus would be talked down. Right? His hearers would simply say, well, your argument doesn't make any sense because we don't agree with you on your simple basic premises. Right? How could Jesus build an argument based on David being a prophet and Psalm 110 being about the Messiah if his hearers didn't agree with those points? The early Christian writers, like the church fathers, they also followed the New Testament. They interpreted the Psalms as about Jesus. And in fact, they went far beyond the New Testament because they found even more references to Jesus in the Psalms. Even early Jewish and rabbinic writings saw the Psalms as eschatological. Many of them saw Psalm 2 as referring to Gog and Magog. It's not clear in the Psalm itself, but they saw Psalm 2 as describing the end times battle of Gog and Magog coming against Israel, and they saw a future king in that battle. Psalms 2 and others, 22, 45, 110, 118, are referenced as being about the Messiah. So the question is, well, what changed then? How could it be that, that we have such a rich history of interpreting the Psalms as end times? Right? All the way back to early translations, to the Dead Sea Scrolls, to the New Testament believers, and even those who were not believers in the first century seem to have not questioned the New Testament's interpretations. Then early Christian writings following the New Testament, and then early Jewish and rabbinic writings as well. If we have such a rich history, well, what happened? Why is it that so many today, maybe even most, just assume that the Psalms are these songs about ancient Israel and, and her worship services and so on? fact is that these eschatological interpretations, they weren't just popular, they were overwhelmingly popular. They were dominant until the Enlightenment. And in the Enlightenment time, it was assumed that scriptures could not be prophetic. Sadly, this trend has largely continued until today, where so many people find the Psalms situated and fulfilled historically, with no future element in, inherent to the Psalms. Even believing scholars who say, these psalms are fulfilled in Jesus, for example, they would argue similarly, where they would say that the psalm, let's say Psalm 22, was a psalm by David about his own suffering with no awareness of any application to anyone else. But the New Testament notices the psalms and says, wow, this really foreshadows Jesus, and God prophetically inspired this, but, but it's not in, intentional to the psalm that it refers to Jesus. Right, many believers think of it this way. Some would even say that it's a divinely inspired misreading of the Old Testament, right? It's, it's misreading the Old Testament. We can't re reproduce this sort of a hermeneutic or approach to the Psalms, but it was divinely inspired. So, you know, God can do whatever he wants. This Psalm might be about this, but God can now say it's about this. And he's allowed to do that. I think that these, these ideas are mistaken. And we're going to look at this more in future about how can we say that the Psalms speak of Jesus. But before we do that, we need to recognize that we are in a long line of believers and even unbelieving Jews 
who saw the Psalms as eschatological, referring to end times, and messianic, referring to the Christ. So what if Handel and Jennings had it right after all? Given all the things that you could be doing right now, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider posting a review by going to psalmcast.info or sharing this episode with a friend. The show notes can also be found on the website, which is psalmcast.info. Podcasting is a big endeavor, but it's also a great opportunity. So please check out my Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. There are exciting rewards that can be found nowhere else. My page can be found also through psalmcast.info. All music is by Teen Days. You can check him out on Bandcamp or anywhere good music can be found. If you're still listening, then I'm impressed. You should look up my other podcast called Beyond Reading the Bible. And hey, don't forget to check out my Patreon page at psalmcast.info.